No matter what time zone you're in or what continent you're on, when you need to find out just how Maddie Collector is screwing you over this week, we're here to help. You're listening to the Action Figure Blues Podcast, episode number 102, for the week of Wednesday, the 5th of February, 2014. I'm Scott, and with me tonight are... Ben, Tom, and John. This episode is brought to you by Max Comics and Stuff and ActionFigureBlues.com. Tonight, after our regular features, we have a very special interview with sculpting legend Tim Bruckner. back gentlemen how are you all pretty good fan freaking uh, hungover <laughs> you're hungover tom yeah a little bit what time is it there in argentina uh, 8 a.m 8 a.m what yeah. time is it there in uh, the united states of america john uh 6 a.m so do you want to tell tom to shut up or <laughs> no <laughs> quit your cry baby so what time did you go to bed tom uh 4 a.m Right. Okay. <laughs> Got yeah. it. So, but it's okay. It's okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm here. This is for the greater good. So I'm here. <laughs> well, we are, as always, delighted to have you rejoin us. And as people will find out later, there is a special reason why we had to have you on the show this week. Um, John, why do we have to have you on the show this week? Well, I don't know, because you have Tom and he's the funny one, so. That's true. Yeah. You're kind of superfluous, really, aren't you? Yeah, I guess I am. Yeah, but we love you anyway. So how have you been, besides superfluous? Uh, the only reason I'm here is because Tom's here. <laughs> yeah, he's funny. I, I just okay. really wanted to listen to Tom. Um, okay. You know, I learned something this week. Uh, I learned that the stripes on the British flag uh, do not match up exactly. The red ones in the diagonal. I didn't know that. And how did you, in what context did you learn this? Well, Mrs. Nerd was working on a little end table to to sell, and um, she was painting a British flag on the top of it. And mm-hmm. I was helping her lay out all the masking lines and stuff, and um, she had a uh, drawing with the dimensions, and I was looking at it going, huh, I didn't know those didn't match up, but they don't. When you say match up, you mean that they the cross ones don't join. Right, they're off. Yeah, so the British flag is a red cross in the middle, and then there's a red X behind but it's outlined in white and the um arms of the red x do not actually join with the cross right it's actually three crosses it's a white cross a red cross and a big red that's cross. right yep so yeah i learned something i suppose that by de facto i learned something about the australian flag then too right uh does our ben <laughs> <laughs> I would presume the Union Jack is the same. It's the same, yeah. So our yeah. our um, flag has got the British flag in the top left-hand corner, um, and it is the same. Yeah, I just thank you, Google Images. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is the same. There you go. I don't know how I survived 40 years without knowing that, but now I do. No, I, I have no idea either. Um, so, uh, Tom. Yeah. How are you? I was just looking at the British flag, sorry. Um, <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I'm I'm fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's been a, a 
complicated uh, couple of weeks, uh, especially at work. Uh, I've been, uh, you know, I, I said this before, I'm a screenwriter, and I had two greenlit projects in the last few months of the last year. So actually I'm working in, in two whole series, so whole seasons one for two different series. Oh my goodness. And it's been exhausting. I bet. <laughs> but it's been a lot of fun too, so. Must, yeah, it um, must be exciting. Yeah, it is. It is. And is it all happening in the same place or do you have to go back and forth between two different places? Uh, actually, uh, one of the two j- uh, already started uh, filming, and they they are filming in a different country. So oh. I they're filming in Brazil. So uh, I, I I traveled a lot, uh, but now that that everything is is set and everything is established, I I'm not traveling as much because I'm working on the other series. Okay. But, but how it's, far it's away is that for you? Like, how what what sort of travel time is involved from Argentina to Brazil? Um, two and a half hours flight. Okay. Yeah, it's it's not really that much, but it's it's weird. It's two hour two and a half hours, and, and you're you're in a different country, speaking a different language, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes going and coming back on the same day. So people in Europe know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Hey, we've got Queensland here in Australia. I know what you're talking about, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's like going to a different country. Yeah. yeah. Different language. Yeah. Hi, Queensland. <laughs> yeah. So, Ben, what's been happening with you, dude? My sweat has sweat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is so hot. It is. Here. It is. Australia's got a heat wave at the moment. Man, it's just awful. And last Monday, my ducted air conditioning died. <gasps> So oh my goodness! We were dusting off old fans and things, and trying to get air conditioning repair persons with um, at least half a brain, uh, which were few and far between. Yeah, yeah, that's not fun. No, no, it's not. So uh, hopefully, after putting the wind up, some of them we're, we're getting some movement. But in the meantime, everyone's just kind of laying around moaning. <laughs> Which is me most of the time anyway, yeah, yeah, okay, but, but now yeah. it's exponentially worse. <laughs> My um eldest started back basketball today after the kind of holiday break, and where they play is basically in a big tin shed. Oh, lovely. Yeah, and so it was nearly 40 here today, which is 104 Fahrenheit, Um and we were so hot. We were so hot. But they won. <laughs> yes, something. They won, and and Miss Miss Thirteen now um, scored the winning goal in the oh. dying seconds. It was very exciting. So Fantastic. yeah, we, so then we had to go and get ice cream to celebrate. Mostly because we were so hot. <laughs> it's because the the other team dehydrated first. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh dear. That's Australian rules. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Last teenager standing. Yeah, it's a bit like that. Well, 
we've got a slightly different structure um tonight because earlier in the week Ben and I had the opportunity to sit down and record a fantastic conversation with sculptor Tim Bruckner who is someone that we have been talking to about being on this show ever since it started he recently very courteously um semi retired so that he would have time to talk to us so um it was great and I can't wait for you guys to hear it, but we didn't want to leave you without the things that you are used to, so we're going to do those first, and we're going to get started with some articulated news. G.I. Joe ventures deep into the jungle. Suddenly, he comes upon the fearsome intruder commander. His kung fu grip is no match for his foe's crushing arms. But wait, it's the new Outback Adventurer with punchy hands. These new hands make short work of the alien. All figures sold separately from Hasbro. Before we get to our main features, we start each episode with a bit of news. Articulated news is where we discuss the latest events and announcements in the toy and collectibles world. We don't cover everything because sometimes there's so much and some of it is um, dumb. So we cover the stuff that's either super dumb or really interesting and leave just the average dumb stuff behind. And I am starting off this week, and you can decide for yourself whether or not this fits in the super dumb category. Let's talk about Mattel. It's dumb. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So those people who might remember uh, back in February 2012 um, when the Fisto figure was released for the Masters of the Universe Club Eternia subscription from Mattel, that not everybody got a Fisto. Some people got a Fisto box with a sorceress inside. Surprise! And uh, I wasn't fully aware of how that all went down, because I did get a Fisto. Um, but I've been, yeah, Maddie's been fisting me regularly. Let's just get the fisting jokes out of the way. Okay. Fist, fist, fist. <laughs> the, uh, oh, I have one. I have one. Okay. This is a missed opportunity to call it a fisting contest. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the, so some of those people who got the sorceress never in, in got a, never got a fisto. They were, told they could keep the sorceress if they wanted to, but there weren't enough fistos to go around, um, which is unsurprising because Maddie's been so busy fisting everyone for ages. Um, now, though, there's a contest, and you can win a signed fisto. And get this, it's signed by Toy Guru. It's signed by the figure's designer, but it's also signed by Toy Guru. Now... To, to put a little bit of context in, they have clarified that these are four figures that have apparently come from the personal collections of the marketing and design department. But it, to me, it still smacks a little bit. What would you say? <laughs> I think they should have just skipped the whole idea, whether it's four or 400. Um, the fact that they're out there and they're, they're being given away when people clearly missed out after doing the right thing and subscribing uh, is is just sour. Yeah. It just, uh, Why would they pick him after so long to do that? I don't that know. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, Probably because it's the figure that most people wanted. Because it's the figure that not everyone got. Mm. Maybe. But surely they would. Think, realize, think through the backlash that might come about because of this. Like, you know, screw, screw ups happen. No company's perfect. Things happen. But 
you know, it's, it's definitely not good PR to bring up a mistake and remind people of it. Oh, I think you identified it when you said think things through. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I keep coming back to, you know, working in marketing and that, that sort of stuff. I just keep coming back to where are the people there with that kind of customer relations brain going, don't do that. Yeah. No. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're not red carding them because let's face it, they've already got a lifetime achievement red card and it's just, it's monotonous. So that's, um, and you know, some people we've had comments in our forum from a couple of people saying, I think this is great. Um, hi, Tiger. Um, but yeah, you, you know, you know, that figure has a, a sticker on it that says now with giant punchy hand. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then I have to say that the whole, like, you know, signed by Chaguru thing to me is like, you know, that does, is that a selling point? I don't understand. <laughs> you know, signed by the four horsemen. Awesome. Yeah. I want it. Yeah. But Absolutely. I just, yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, okay. Enough of that, but there is some other Maddie news. The, um, releases for, uh, February have been announced and the Masters of the Universe minis, this is He-Man and Merman are coming out. Um, the Club Eternia monthly figure Glimmer and the quarterly figure Moduloc, who looks pretty cool, are coming out. And then if you didn't get the DC Universe Larflees or Phantom Stranger, they will be available um, as well if they don't sell out in early access. Ooh, can't wait till I have a sale on Batzaro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also on the DC front from Figures Toy Company, the who have been doing the Mego uh, World's Greatest Heroes revisits of the uh, Batman TV stuff. They've just announced an Alfred um, that looks very Alfredish. I didn't mind it actually. I yeah. think it looks fun. Yeah. No. Uh, th- <clears throat> excuse me. Great addition if you're um, into that kind of thing. So that's nice news, and g- glad to see that line still going. And then from Kid Robot. We have Labbit news. Yes. Yes. Um, everyone knows what a big Labbit fan I am. Um, and now we have the lore of the Labbit mini-series. Are these blind bags? Or, no, they're not. No. no. Okay. So these are um, 2.5-inch vinyls, and we have a cat. Oh, wait. No, no, they are. Oh. Well, yeah, they're blind-boxed. Oh, they are blind patch. Sorry, I'm looking yeah. at the wrong thing. These are 1.5 um, legendary labbits, and they're These blind patch. Mini labbits. Mini labbits. Okay, so there are a number of different um, options. 18 of them, in fact, set squatches, yetis, aliens, king lizards, and other conspiratorial smorkin creatures. What does smorkin mean? Um, they're smoking rabbits. Although I'm not sure what they're smoking, yeah. but they're smoking something. I don't know, but it says smork. Uh, that's their thing. Yeah, yeah they smork. They smork. They smork cigarettes. I, I really am just not up on my labbit language. <laughs> smork. Is that like twerking or? No. No. That's what you have after you've finished twerking. You oh, have a smork. see. Okay. So once you've done your twerking, then you smork. That's wrong. 
Got it. Well, I just thought being the resident lab expert that I should really cover this. <laughs> See, I don't mind these at all. I objected to the Labbit Wolverine, partly because... Labbit, just every time I see Labbit, I think labia, and I just think it's a terrible name for a toy. Um, but hey, we've already, well, we've already talked about Feast. No, no, knowing, uh, the, the designer of the, of the Labbit, that's Frank Kozik, um, I'm pretty sure he'd be thrilled that you think that Labbit sounds like labia. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Cool. We should get him uh, on the show. He's a little edgy, isn't he? Hey, we're edgy. Yeah. What are you saying, John? Are you saying we're not edgy? No, we are. Okay, cool. Thank you. I guess it all just depends on what he smoked before the, you know, recording. <laughs> I look at this here on the Kid Robot um, website where it says, um, originally featured in Frank Kozik's 90s rock poster art, Labbit and his signature butthole were adopted by Kid Robot in 2013. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, I just didn't, when I saw that original Wolverine one that we, that I did a red card for, I didn't have a context for it. But now that I do have a context for it, I still hate that Wolverine rabbit. So there you go. <sighs> um, but John, why don't you yes. do some news, Neil? Well, we got really, really exciting news this week because Hi. from Lego, they announced their, uh, you can't make me say this again, their Kusu, um, set and it happens to be Wait for it. Ghostbusters 30th anniversary. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I know Twitter kind of lit up when this, this was announced the other day because kind of, yeah, yeah, they, everybody was all over this and an Ecto one, right? That was the mm-hmm. other thing. Not the house though. Cause in the original Kusu, uh, project, there was the brick house, yeah. house as well. And in some of the press, about this, they showed pictures of that and didn't make it clear that they're not actually making that. It's just the Ecto one and the minifigures. I, well, I think you could get, you know, probably something similar if you oh, wanted it from fantastic. Lego. So. That but, makes sense. Uh, that's a good, you know, that's a good marketing decision. Maybe if it, maybe if it goes nuts, then they might make the, the firehouse. Well, I, I know the DeLorean, the Back to the Future DeLorean sold really well. So mm. you know, probably that price point might have been something they were aiming for as well. I yes. Imagine. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, really cool. I even Mrs. Nerd um, shared this on Facebook, so it must be cool. Gets <laughs> <laughs> her personal tick of approval. Yeah, love it. And that is not all the Ghostbusters news because uh, our good friends over at Funko are coming out with some pop vinyl. Lovely. And you're all excited. We've got the uh, the Egon and the uh, Venkman. Hang on here, I lost all my pages. Oh um, no. Not your tabs, your precious a slime, tabs. A Slimer and a um, Stay Puff Marshmallow Man as well. I, I have to say probably Slimer is uh, m- one of my favorite uh, pop vinyl designs. It's, it's, love it's it. great. Yeah. yeah, that is really funky. Um, yeah. I love the Stay Puff too. Yeah. Love it. And it says, uh, uh, looks like Winston might come later with an Ecto-1. Hmm. So he'd be, he'd be sitting in the Ecto-1 or something. So um, he doesn't come with the initial set, but that's all right. We get him later on. As, as long, long as we get him. him. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have him. Yeah. No, they look really cool. I, I, the the Egon threw me off because I don't know that I've seen a pop with uh, glasses before. Oh, goodness. What about the um, oh, Mr. Yeah. Peabody and Sherman? I forgot about yeah. that. I wasn't on that show. He wasn't in my tabs. Do you know what? That Vinkman one actually looks like Bill Murray. How is that possible? Hairline. <laughs> it's the hair. It's the hairline. Yeah. That is so clever. That, I mean, this is, you know, love it. Love it. 
Plus, Belvora has those big black eyes oh, yeah. in real. Because <laughs> he's a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. Why is, it, why is the numbering, the numbering's weird though, because it's 104. Is it part of a, like 104, 105? Movie series maybe? Okay. I oh, know. I don't like that. No. 108, Slimer. Why doesn't it have its own numbering? Ben, you must object to this. Yeah, giving up. <laughs> All right. Okay, can I move on now? Yes, please. Uh, 3A has shown some painted samples of their Invincible Iron Man. This is the um, kind of stylized Iron Man we talked about with the, the Donald Duck-looking feet a while back. Uh, we got the classic Iron Man, you know, red, yellow, a silver centurion, red, silver, stealth Iron Man, blue, black, and Stark Industries prototype Iron Man with white and blue. They're, they're okay. They're, I don't know. Yeah. It says they'll be likely in the 150 to 200 range. Pass. Yeah. What do you think, Ben? I'm, I appreciate the creative license. Mm. Uh, I think it's important that, you know, people are out there trying to do things that are a bit different. Mm. Um, but that said, you know, I'm, my heart just screams classic, uh, and that's just not for me. Uh, I know Eli, you know, was quite, um, quite taken with sort of the, the designs, etc. Um, I, I think right now I'm actually quite curious what will come next. I'm very curious to see how they'll actually handle, um, people like Captain America where they actually have to sculpt facial features. Hmm. So, look, I, I'm... But, but the 3A did, uh, human figures, uh, I think. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm just wondering they were what great. I, yeah. They were stylized, by, but they were great. So, I'm, I'm really curious to see how, how that turned out. I like mm. this iron, actually, a lot. Um, the feet are weird, but, but I can like to. <laughs> I'm just suffering from toy Iron Man fatigue. Mm. You know, like it's a, it's so, it's so saturated, um, that I just can't. Mm, no, they look great. I mean, they look fantastic. No, no criticism of the product at all. But it's a not for me. That's right. And I'll, I'll wait till we see a few more figures, and then I'll probably get really excited and go, "Yeah, what the hell?" And then by then, you know, Iron Man will be about eight hundred bucks on the secondary market. Yeah, probably. Well, thank you for that, John. And Tom, what about some news from you? Well, the four, uh, fourth show of the Four Horsemen, this is really hard to say, the, the fourth show of the Four Horsemen, Fan Ecstasy, is oh, the, so, yeah, Toypocalypse for Fan Ecstasy. Um, <laughs> it's coming. Um, That's hard to say when you're hungover, isn't it, John? Yeah, Sorry, it's, John. it's really Sorry. hard. Um, it's coming to Toy Tokyo, I, the gallery Toy Tokyo, New York. Mm-hmm. And we've seen the first three shows, uh, probably in pictures, um, unless any of us live in New York, I don't think that's the case. Um, and they were really great, but if, if my memory serves. Um, besides, uh, this was a pretty, interesting year last year was pretty interesting for the four horsemen mm-hmm. they had the a huge success in kickstarter with the um, with the raven figure mm-hmm. and i i really think that this is going to be a, a great show like like the the first when i see in that promo the power lords stuff i suddenly get excited about it 
I'm not collecting that. I'm not collecting that. I'm not collecting that. Yeah, and as someone who collected the original Power Lords, I yeah, I keep sort of getting tempted. I, I want to yeah, support they, they them. They do look great. Yeah, I mm. want to support them just because, you know, we need people like this getting licenses and doing them really well without the meddling of the major, you know, corporate <laughs> you know those big business people. That's right. That's um, right. The because since I want Mattel, to say it, say say no, Mattel. No, no, I don't. I mean, I don't want. I don't mean just Mattel. I mean, you know, people little licenses like this that don't have the same kind of interference that the big ones do. You know, we need to support them if we want to see more of it. So I'm inclined to pick up at least a couple of these just to really uh have my um say, I guess, as it were, as opposed to just being an armchair critic of this stuff. Absolutely. I want small companies to promise us toys and not bring them out, not just the big ones like Hasbro. <laughs> Damn straight. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Kickstarter is for, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. hmm. <laughs> to keep us going with with hope and then crushing it. Exactly. But, um, After they've got our money. Yeah. Something else, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a couple more things. Um, there's a new Deadpool bust, mini bust, um, something, uh, from Gentle Giants. <laughs> That's the technical <laughs> language that you expect from us here on the Action of Release podcast, the mini bust something. Some people would just describe it as just a plain old mini bust, but we know it's the mini bust something. No, yeah, it is something hands. because it's the Deadpool X-Force mini bust Good from you. Gentle Giant. Good. Um, so what? I said good on you. Good on you. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's um, basically a Deadpool bust, but in the color scheme of X Force, that's white and and black, and it's pretty nice. Uh, I'm I'm really not into the the, the mini bust thing. It's not my, really my thing, but except for the Peter Parker. <laughs> but um you prefer toys you prefer toys with legs yeah i do yeah um except uh, professor x um <laughs> <laughs> he's got legs they just don't work <laughs> i i actually the the first toy i owned for a of professor x was like a bootleg that had the 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 wheelchair but it wasn't the wheelchair the floating chair oh yeah it was just the torso uh, <gasps> Stuck into the, the, <laughs> the flying chair. Okay. So, so he didn't have legs. Yeah. Take it back. <laughs> so, uh, the Deadpool bust looks, looks really nice. Okay. Um, I think Marvel, Marvel doing the Uncanny X-Force costumes, the white costumes, must be just a marketing bonanza for these companies because they could take all their existing Deadpool product and then reissue it in yeah. these colors for, for little to no cost. Uh, and make some extra money. Owen's don't done the same thing. Mm. Not just Deadpool with all the X Force stuff. Um, you know, it is a. I mean, it's. I, th- I think the particularly the uh, Deadpool version of X Force was a very cool comic. Um, you know, so it's got it. Just not just the artistic appeal. It actually has got a resonance for the mm. for the readers. But yes, I agree. There's a license to print cheap toys. Um, in it for sure. Mm. So this is like a, this is a, 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 a the same bust re- repainted. This is just yeah. repaint. Yeah. Oh. Mm. 
But it's, it's also a previews exclusive. I wonder oh. if it's available outside of the US. Hmm. Anyway. I'm guessing probably not. Yeah. And it's going to cost 89 bucks. Mm-hmm. And one last thing. Yes, I do have one last thing I know nothing about, but I'm going to pretend I do. That's, <laughs> um, that's the whole theme of our show. Yeah. yeah. It's the, um, the announcement of the G.I. Joe Club, um, which, which is like third figure. Um, yeah, the third figure for the 2014 G.I. Joe convention. Um, it's a ECO force technician or a, is it, is it ECO it's, or ECO? It's, it's actually ECO, yeah. Yeah, eco, eco force ignition ozone. Um, it's uh, I have no idea who is he supposed to be. Um, Help us out here, John. Well, in yeah, the, so John, I need a little help. In the the later um, original GI Joe lines, the eco force was out there, you know, uh, to when kind of environmentalism was becoming popular, they kind of tried to tie into that a little bit, and uh, he was the ozone replenisher. So. He was out oh. there replenishing the ozone. Now, we don't one need of, go ahead. At least that's what it looks in the yeah. or in the picture. Um, what I've read online, uh, this figure, normally the club figures like this are done by the folks over at Boss Fight Studios, who um, include the former guest uh, Katrina Arana. And, oh, how well. And um, supposedly there's a head sculpted under that helmet, so that's not just the figure's head. There's in the original one was that way as well. So um, the club does a real good job of taking like existing parts and adding just a few extra things onto it, and um, having it, you know, be a previous figure. The, the original, cool. the original eco warriors all had like water squirting functions with them, you know, in their backpacks <laughs> and stuff. So well, how else do you replenish the ozone layer? Yeah, yeah come on. So. And I believe some of them had like color change. You'd hit them with water and they'd color change, but that was, that was past my G.I. Joe collecting days, so. <laughs> Very good. Well, well, for, for a figure made with, with some of the parts and probably a little bit of sculpting, it, it looks really nice. Um, but it's not my, my thing. And this is the thing of the show, right? It's, it's not for me. Not for um, me. Yes. When, when G.I. Joe started ripping off Captain Planet. But, uh, <laughs> now come on, there's no power of heart in here. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there is. <laughs> Which one is the EcoForce, uh, G.I. Joe that, um, had the power of heart? I, I you, you couldn't know. tell you. It's, it's probably the, the Latin American one. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're, they really screwed us up in that show. <laughs> I think there's a whole discussion topic in that, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, like uh, um, cultural stereotypes in GI Joe. <laughs> but that's that's for another episode. How about how about Ben? How about you do your news now? <laughs> me, all right, over to me. Well, I've got some news from Mezco, and uh, if um, if you didn't have your spirit crushed after picking up Mezco's Breaking Bad Walter White figure, and you're uh, a sucker for punishment, you'll be thrilled to know that at the uh, New York Toy Fair um, 2014, there is a Mezco Breaking Bad Walter White exclusive. So if you don't have enough in-action figures of Walter White, now's your opportunity to get one where they've just painted the shirt and pants a different colour. Stuck a sticker on the the packet to say that it's exclusive, and you can add another in-action figure to your Breaking Bad collection. Yeah, but the button call. Yeah. 
Yeah, I see. Take that. See, this is actually Walter White, though. I think the other one was Heisenberg. Mm. Yes, only because supposedly he's wearing his Walter White green shirt and khaki pants. Uh, look, I think this had so much potential for Mezco. They, this is the kind of figure that I would have loved to have just had on my desk at work. But as soon as I found it had no articulation, I had absolutely no interest whatsoever in picking it up. So, um, I think they really, really failed big time, uh, with this license. I was right there with you. I had them in my hands and I was like, nope, not going to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. They just, uh, I, I don't know what the, the situation was, whether they just rushed the production because they wanted to have it out in time for, um, San Diego, um, whether the license was just so expensive they didn't have the additional money for more tooling. Uh, I don't know. But, um, well, they tried to get them out right at the end of the series and I think they were trying to cash in on yeah. getting it out for the end of the show. Yeah. Um, I bet you that worked well. I, I, I just think Mezco, um, are not great. You know, like there's just not, when I look at what they do, you know, we talked about this, um, a little while ago. I, I don't think that it's kind of the type of figures that we, um, would expect in terms of articulation, etc. It's really just that kind of staction cashing in on stuff figures, really. Yeah. Well, I, I have a question for, for, uh, for you guys that, that collect statues, for example. I, I, I mean, Ben, I know you collect statues, so the not moving thing, I, I, that's not a problem. So why exactly, uh, you have a problem with this figure that, uh, because I, I don't know, is, is it the lack of articulation? Or because um. Oh, I think statues... You can, you can think of it as a, like a cheap statue or something. Well, you could, but, you know, it's sold as an action figure, so I want action. Um, and statues generally are made of a higher quality material. They're bigger, um, and, you know, there's a certain thing I want in my statues, and there's a certain thing I want in my action figures, and some movement okay. <laughs> would be nice. I think as well, these... Uh, it's, you know, it's one thing if the staction figure is in some sort of dynamic pose, but when they're just kind of there with hands at side, you know, nothing very exciting happening and the, the sculpt isn't fabulous, um, it's a bit of a, hmm. But my, my issue with this stuff is that both with the, uh, Walter White in the, you know, his kind of standard gear, and the uh drug making suit one that they have repainted those like so many times mm, mm. you know to me the least they could have done is actually made the base something worth reusing over and over well i mean you know as john said the this is actually a walter white rather than a heisenberg so yeah. you think they would have actually gone to the expense of swapping out the right hand but he's still got that right hand with the gun actually sculpted into the hand the gun is not removable it's actually part of the figure um but so, it's the same figure isn't it it's just repainted it it's oh, the absolutely. same as the heisenberg figure it's just but if, repainted. if you're going from heisenberg to walter white and you're trying to sell it as such you think you'd change something other than the color yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he really wouldn't have the hat as much either. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. Anyway, I think that's had a bad... Also, um, the, hat, the hat looks, uh, and this is for the sculpting, but the hat looks looks pretty bad. It does, yeah. yeah. It doesn't quite sort of fit. Yeah, I saw one of the Heisenberg ones actually just yesterday out at my local mall and looked at it and was just like, this is just so mm. disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they flew off the shelves here. You, you mm. couldn't get one. 
Mm. Well, here in Australia, we have more taste and they're still available. Maybe it's because the crystal meth is actually real crystal meth. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) All right. Something else. (laughs) From our buddies at NECA, continuing on with their successful line of uh, classic 8-bit video game uh, tributes, we've had the Jason, the Freddy, etc., etc. We're actually now getting a Predator. Now, this is from the uh, video game that was released in 1989. Uh, It comes in that sort of... um, goofy blue with black shading. Um, they've taken just one of their existing NECA 7-inch um, uh, Predators and basically cast it and touched it up in assorted blue and blue shades. Um, and, and it's a fun-looking figure. And Unlike the other ones, I actually think this works. Um, you know, think the other ones work? Well, no, they, they work in the sense that, um, that they are what they're meant to be, like out of the video game and, and one colour, whereas this, I think, wouldn't actually look out of place in your Predator collection. Um, we've seen a lot of interesting um, paint schemes on the Predator figures, like Big Red with all these assorted red armour. So, you know, this is the kind of figure that I'd happily pick up and add to my Predator collection. I think it would fit in quite nicely without any, any kind of issues. So, well, I think are you going... You were going to buy it anyway, um, probably. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's straight out of their existing line, so um, it does actually fit in quite well. Uh, yeah, so... See, I have way more time for this sort of repaint because the um, original figure is so good. Mm. You yeah. know, it's worth uh, revisiting, even though, you know, it's just a repaint, um, because the original one is just so beautifully sculpted. Yeah, oh, and look, you know, you could sell it off as some kind of ice camouflage scheme, you know. Mm-hmm. They've they got the that snow. active camo thing going on anyway. Mm-hmm. So it, it could be, or it could be a heat vision, cold vision. Mm-hmm. You could you could sell it as a bunch of things. Yeah. If this was the 90s, uh, he would be like snowboarding Predator. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh. Now, um, Ben, speaking of Iron Man fatigue. Yeah. That's not hot toys, so that's okay. Um, Sideshow have um, put up for solicitation a um, Iron Man Mark 42 life-size bust. So if the other Iron Man life-size busts that you've purchased <laughs> haven't quite completed your collection, here's an opportunity to add another one. Mm. Um, I mean, it is the Mark 42, which is nice because it's seen a little bit more screen time than, than Igor and some of the other ones they keep flogging to death. Um, so, you know, it's actually not too bad. I actually, I, I don't, I, I still think the Iron Man armor from, the, you know, the, the red and gold one from the, the first film is still the standout. It, it actually looks like Iron Man. This one's got a little bit too much gold in it for me. Um, but look, this thing just looks amazing. It's got the light up arc reactor, the eye lenses, um, looks beautifully finished. If those shots are the final, you know, production piece, it's a beautiful looking piece. It's, uh, over two feet tall. Um, and, and three million dollars. Uh, it's a thousand bucks. And you can own it in August of 2014. I love the way they did under the arms. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the the whole sort of silver mechanical bits and pieces. Yeah, like it's actually the armor there, you know, and you're seeing underneath it, you know. Yeah. I just I think they did a cool job with that. That's a neat little detail. 
Yeah. And I mean, if you, you know, if you had a movie theatre and you really wanted to, you know, bring it to life and, and not just be one of those typical chain places that's nothing but bad carpet and popcorn, you know, <laughs> well, you know, look, I, you know, I think these are the sorts of things that um, would look great in a, in a display case at a, at a cinema as you're walking. I think it'd add some ambience to it. But, um, anyway, if you've got a thousand bucks and yeah. uh, you can't be bothered waiting for the life-size Igor, then <laughs> go for it. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you, everybody, for your contributions and uh, insightful commentary. And we will wrap up the news there and come back in just a moment with the next installment of everybody's favorite podcast game, Name That. We love having John on our show, and one reason why we love having John on our show is because he brings donuts, and another reason is because he brings us the fabulous podcast game named that, and it is time for the next installment. So, John, over to you. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you know, they're last week's donuts, but that's that's okay. We're not picky. John needs anything. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Um, anything up? Hmm? I, I don't know you. Up? I'm not touching that. Put them back. Let me start again. Go on, John. Anyway, last week we heard a little sound, and it was a little snippet that sounded something like this. Motorized robot is your command. Hack in and take control. Now destroy the spiders. Arm your robot. Halt or robot will destroy. For a blasting spider strike. And, uh, gentlemen. After hearing that, do you got any guesses? I think someone's already guessed it. However, I wondered if it was something... Is it is, is something Spider-Man? Oh, no. Okay, well, I'm wrong then. Never mind. No. Is it Mask? It is not Mask. Sunday's going to be Mask. G.I. Joe. It is not G.I. Joe. Simpsons. No. Glamour Gals. Star Wars. Oh, man, I, I've been looking for another Glamour Gals commercial. <laughs> I haven't found a good one. <laughs> one and only. Okay, put us out of our misery. And, well, our good friend Eddie3429 put us out of our misery this week because he realized that this was from, wait for it, Lost in Space. What? But not not the original Danger, Danger Will Robinson. This was, well, it was, but it was from the movie release. Um, it's actually oh, an electronic movie. Yeah, it was, uh, from an electronic version of the robot from that film. So, um, something a little different. Yeah, that's good. Good on you. Yeah. You know, it's hard coming up every week with something that, you know, is, un- is unusual. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you do manage to do it week after week. Yeah. Yeah. I-, I won't even tell you how many clips I have to watch in a week to find one that works. <laughs> <laughs> and then that, and I start clicking on other stuff and it just, it, you know. I get sucked into the YouTube vortex. <laughs> but you do it for us. I, I do do it for you guys. And because, we so appreciate it. Because I love you, and it makes me happy when people guess. And they can guess by going over to AFB Forum, like Eddie did. Good on you, Eddie. Anyway, if you want to guess, you can listen to this week's sound, which we'll put right here. adventures let you soar beyond the limits of your imagination. With a valiant force, merge it together in their robotic to challenge the might of 
demonic minions and menacing machines. And one more time. Enter the world of with thrilling adventures let you soar beyond the limits of your imagination. With a valiant force merges together in their robotic to challenge the might of demonic minions and menacing machines. And like I said, you know, if you want to guess, come on over to afbforum.com and make your guess there. And if you want to be like forum member stars, come on over to tvandfilmtoys.com and Tuesdays and Thursdays and you can guess on the picture one. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing. Just it's pictures instead of audio. And stars went over there and answered a whole bunch of them this week. So, uh, and he got them all right. Yay. He's cool, dude. Yeah. Good job, stars. Good on you. Well, thanks very much for that, John. We will be right back in a moment to talk about the new items that we've added to our collections this week. Well, we're all here because we have the collecting bug, and this is where we talk about what we have either collected or pre-ordered uh, since the last time that we made our confession. And um, Ben, let's start with you. What have you got? Hey, I forgot to mention a few weeks ago that I actually picked up the Hasbro Wolverine Legends wave of Marvel Legends. Uh, and I probably just went out of my mind because they're pretty crap, but uh, I might go into some more detail and make it a Toy of the Week in a, in a few episodes' time and, and get into a bit of detail because it's only a small wave of four figures. So I'll save that to then. But um, the one I did get, which is a lot of fun and I'm really happy with it, is the Masters of the Universe Standor figure. Mm. Uh, I know a lot of people you know, pissed and moaned when that figure was announced because they were saying that... Stan didn't have anything to do with Master of the Universe. So, you know, why is he being glorified with a figure, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? And to them, I say, because um, <laughs> it's Stanley, and I love all things Stanley. So um, yeah, I, I made sure that I was around um, at uh, the time of sale on on Maddie Collector, and I got in there and got my figure, and he arrived, and he's going in my Stanley collection. <laughs> so, you have a Stanley collection. I do, I do. I, I know you, I know you do, but what's in it? <laughs> oh, there's lots of things. There's, um, a couple of Stanley busts. Um, one of them I, I acquired when I was with Tom in, in San Diego a couple of years ago, which was a lot of fun. And I have, um, assorted books and biographies and Funko Pop vinyls and the, um, Marvel Legends figure that came out a while back. And, oh gosh, I don't know. What else? Huh. Uh, uh, I don't know. Was there, Stuff. was there a Mego figure of him? Like a Mego, uh, not to my famous, knowledge. Famous covers one? Mm, or was there? Okay. Uh, not to my knowledge, but, uh, if anyone can correct me, please look me know and let me know so I can waste a couple of hours looking for it on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Still waiting for my sideshow premium format, Stanley. Mm-hmm. 
It's coming for that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, John, what about you? I, I didn't know I was going, so I had to unmute. Um, <laughs> what were you I, doing? Picking your I, nose. So talking to Arnold, actually, but, um, oh. that's okay. Uh, oh, wait, what about? I'm doing research for me. Glaze on the donuts in the cafeteria. Oh, oh dear. Okay. Go, John. Come on. I, I picked up two of the minifigures from the Lego movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, the panda suit guy and um, Emmett with the construction hat. So he, cool. He has little tiny Lego instructions with him. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Mm, that is and so the, cool. And the construction helmet has hair, so he has both a hat and hair. Ah, okay. Which will blow your mind if you're a Lego collector. Yeah, that's pretty, um. I, I'm really that's pumped cute. up for that movie. I really am. <laughs> I watch the trailer like every other day. <laughs> I do. It just makes me happy. I don't know why. It's not, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I have to give a shout out because the, the guys over at Intergalactic Toys here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, made me a deal on one of the Simpsons figures I didn't have, which is the octuplets. So it's not really a figure. It's actually eight figures and a stroller, but um, it's one of them I didn't have. And um, I got it for a great price. And um, I have to thank those guys for that because they hooked me up. It's one, one of those pieces I wasn't sure I'd ever have. So huh. yeah, the, the, those are really hard to come by. Yeah. Yeah. I've been so, looking for a while. So. So can I ask a question about the minifigures from the Lego movie? So the the previous minifigures they've been releasing, the blind-bagged ones, uh, just whatever concept they can come up with, the only difference with these ones is their unique concepts that they've come up with that just happen to feature in the movie. Yeah, like um, there's Emmett and uh, Wild Styles in her Western outfit, which probably doesn't fit with any of the playsets. It's almost yeah. like... They, they took what didn't fit into a playset, you know, mm. and, mm. and did them as, um, as blind bag figures. You know, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Shakespeare, yeah. uh, let's see who else here. We got another mermaid, uh, but no licensed properties, no superheroes. No, no superheroes. Okay. Oh, wait, there's one for you, Ben. Um, one of them is where are my pants guy? Cool. <laughs> Taco Tuesday guy, and um, from the trailer, the guy that serves him coffee, the barista Larry, he's he's got a mini here as well. Well, can I ask a question about the Simpsons octuplets? Do, do they all come out of the pram? I believe they do. I I haven't opened it yet because I want to take pictures before I open it, but I will okay. open it. I just haven't. So cool. this is actually even a carded figure, and wow. I'm going to open it. And I, for what I spent on it, I'm kind of just hesitant. <laughs> but, right, got it. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Because all the rest of mine are open, so. And I gotta put them next to Apu and, uh, mm. Manjula, so. Love it. They'll be in the Quickie Mart display, I'm sure. Love it. Very good. I didn't get anything this week, but I did buy something on eBay. Um, last week when we talked about the news about the Stargirl bombshells, statue i said this could be the statue that draws me into this line and i decided i've pre-ordered that and then i thought well if i'm gonna you know collect this i've got to have the wonder woman at least and so i better go see what she's going for on ebay and actually not too bad um the supergirl one though seems to be it might just be what's on ebay at the moment but the supergirl one 
seems to have really inflated in price on eBay, so I haven't bought that yet. But I had a bit of an eBay drama while I was trying to buy Wonder Woman because there's sometimes a funny thing with some of the, you know, international shipping stuff where when you look in the listing, like if it doesn't list a shipping price to Australia, if it says you have to contact the buyer, I don't even bother because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I want to buy it now and I want the you know, to know how much it's going to cost. So, but sometimes I've had this happen to me before where you can see the price in the listing of how much it's going to cost. And then when you buy and it says, please go to PayPal to pay now, uh, then it says, Oh, the seller hasn't specified shipping to your country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this happened to me where I bought one and well, I you know clicked commit to buy, and then it said please go to PayPal now, and then it said this can't be completed because your the seller hasn't specified this to your country, but it didn't actually I it didn't actually make it clear to me that I had actually like committed to buy. I it was like this can't be completed, and there was a cancel button, so I clicked cancel, and then I found another one that was actually a better price, and I bought that. Then I went to my my eBay summary. And both of them are sitting there in my purchased items. Uh, and I was like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so thankfully I just sent a very nice message to the buyer of the other one and said, look, I've, I've made a mistake. This was confusing and it's totally my fault. I apologize, but if you would please kindly cancel this, I would really appreciate it. And he did. So thank you. Nice eBay seller. Nice. And but boo eBay. <laughs> so anyway, I'm yeah. I, the, the same thing happened to me a while ago, and, and it, it's really confusing um, because it, it said that it, it was going to ship to Argentina, mm-hmm. and exactly the same thing happened to me, except for the buying the same thing twice. I didn't have enough money to do that, but <laughs> <laughs> because it was a really expensive item. But um, so, so it was like uh, for a, a day. That I expected the, the seller to return my my email, uh, and I was really nervous for all this time <laughs> if, I, if I if I bought it or not. I wasn't entirely sure. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think it's something about obviously the settings and some like the way they've got their selling stuff set up. But I've had something similar happen where. Um, this was a Bowen the Groot bust, which was a website exclusive, and so I had to get it from eBay, and I found one, it was a good price, and the shipping was really reasonable, I thought, and so I bought it, and then I got that, I got a message saying, you know, you need to contact the seller for the, for shipping, and he came back with a total that was like double. Ouch. And I was like, uh, hold on, and I had a screenshot and everything, and he said, yeah, well, I didn't do that, eBay did that, and I can't, I can't do it. So, but anyway, in the end, I took it up with eBay, and they made him send it to me for that price. Nice. Na na ni na na. Well, before this spirals out of control into childish behavior, uh, let's ask Tom. Tom, did you get anything? Um, not nothing. Uh, not toys, but I really got uh, a nice old comic book from 1973. Uh, it's uh, Batman two, 251. Oh, uh, it's cool. one by um, covered by Neil Adams and Dick Giordano mm-hmm. that has uh, the Joker holding a huge playing card with Batman yes. trapped in it. Uh, it's really nice. I really wanted this this issue because it's one the Joker kind of turned from the, the goofy clown prince of crime to 
to a murdering psychopath. Mm -hmm. And I can relate to them. (laughs) (laughs) Does it mirror mirrors your own life journey in some way? Is that what you're saying? It it, it changed my life in in some way, I think. Okay. Awesome. (laughs) That's not disturbing at all. No. (laughs) I live so far away, nobody cares. Note to self, never go to Argentina. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Tom. I think we should move on and come back and award another red card to something or someone in the toy universe. What is this bizarro world? As I mentioned at the start of the show, the reason that we got Tom on this week is because uh, Tom is going to hand out our red card, and we didn't feel that we could do it justice. Now, this is a a AFB podcast first. Not only did we bring a guest, I mean, Tom's not really a guest, but someone on specifically to do red card, but we have never red carded an entire country before. So... I'm a little bit concerned that we might be starting some sort of diplomatic incident here, um, but we'll just see how we go. Um, and Tom, I think you need to do the honors and explain. I'll try to do the 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 this the whole thing justice. Um, <laughs> the, um, the the thing is, uh, the Argentinian government is trying to um, uh, to prevent. Uh, Dollars from the the national treasure to go to foreign countries uh, because uh, that's kind of the, what the, this is what they're saying. This is uh, uh, stabilizing the, the economy. Um, so there was like a political decision to uh, in some uh, along with some other political decisions, but this one is the one that affects me and. Uh, some other collectors is that they decided to uh, limit the times you can um, buy uh, stuff outside Argentina. Um, so if you make more than two purchases over $25 a year, um, you are have to be signed up as an importer. So there's no, I can do it, I can't do it anymore as a private collector or as a private citizen. Um, basically what being an importer means is that uh, first you have to pay more taxes, uh, then every item you, you get is going to be held up at uh, customs and you have to pay taxes for it. And then you can do all the paperwork yourself. Uh, you have to uh, hire somebody that does uh, all the paperwork for you and gets the stuff from customs, etc. So um, basically, if you have, if you need to sign up as an importer, you, you're going to be spending way much more money than uh, the other way around. Um, so, well, basically, twenty-five dollars, except if you're buying uh, from like China or whatever, little. Small stuff that is with free shipping. Um, twenty-five dollars is anything you buy online because twenty-five dollars uh, actually uh, anything you buy is going to cost only uh, the shipping is going to cost more than twenty-five. Um, so basically, what they managed to do is to um, 
avoid uh, people from buying, and this applies to PayPal, eBay, Amazon, whatever. Um, I, I don't think the um, the I really don't think the, the the money that was going outside by private uh, citizens is, is that much. Mm. Um, but uh, I really can't judge a political decision. Um, well, I can't, but I—I <laughs> 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 uh, I mean, if if I was sure this is uh, for the greater good, I know a lot of collectors and uh, here, and they're basically all of them are basically good guys. So if we were sure this is for the greater good and to keep people, uh, poor people, uh, with um, better um, better salaries or, or whatever, um, and social plans or, or whatever, we would be okay with this. Um, mm. We really don't think, um, I, I really don't think um, this is going to work that way. Um, so I, I, I'm not giving the red card for a political decision because if, if this actually works and, and this fixes the economy, um, I, I, I'll eat my own words. I have no problem with that. I, I'll accept I was wrong. Um, but, but for now, <laughs> but for now and for basically cock blocking, um, the entire collector community of whatever, um, because this, this goes for, for toy collectors, comic book collectors, um, bronies, um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I know a guy that, that, uh, that's BMX. Uh, he, he, that's, uh, um, extreme biking or whatever you call it. And he gets all the, the, the parts for, uh, from outside Argentina. So, um, basically any hobby you, you have that requires getting something from another country is it's is going to be a little bit fucked up right now. So for that, I, I can give the red card to the Argentinian government. Right. There you go. So wow. this is our first red card to an entire country. And it, I think it's deserved. It seems so, like it would just uh, cause people to create these, like, brokerage houses where... You know, hey, I'm an importer, and I'm gonna, mm-hmm. you know, take my cut off the top because I got all the money to pay for the paperwork. You know, I, I, I don't see. Yeah, how that, that's what, that's what's probably going to happen. Um, I, I'm guessing. I, I because um, basically here the 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 collectibles uh, don't get here by huge uh, comic book stores or whatever. Uh, oh. It's always uh, I said this before, um, the, the secondary market uh, here is probably the best way you have to, to get something. I never buy toys at retail, for example, huh. um, because I, um, it's actually cheaper for me uh, to get uh, with a friend or something and, and buy them online um, or simply find someone that was going to was buying them and and buy it from him uh, or her in like eBay or something in Argentina and it was expensive but it was way more expensive to buy them uh, at retail because retail has to pay for taxes and lights and employees etc and the other guy is just a guy in his basement 
hoarding toys mm. and selling them. So actually, it was cheaper to mm. to do it with that way. So mm. basically, the whole collectibles thing. I have a few friends that bring uh, that that buy comic books out in the U.S. and and, and sell them here. And uh, they they are desperate. They they don't know what what they're going to do. Just a question, Tom. If if we were to package up some goods and send them to you, what happens? Does it get stopped at the gate and the post office says you have to pay a whole bunch of charges before we'll let this go? Or um, that depends. Uh, I I guess that depends if you send it as a gift and uh, I maybe. Mm-hmm. Because uh, if you send something as a gift, it's a yeah, it's a very heavy box. It's probably going to be held up there, and then I I have to 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 fight my way to to get it, saying uh, I don't know how much it costs. It was a gift, etc. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think I can. The, the the problem is how how can I send you money mm. <laughs> for that box and um. I was thinking. I I really was. Um, I, I I put some Breaking Bad and started thinking about possible <laughs> um, ways uh, to to send money outside, including stuffing like um, little dolls with with cash and and mailing. <laughs> <laughs> what about a PayPal uh, gift? A, a we can't uh, use the gift option uh, in Argentina. Really? Wow. Yeah, PayPal. PayPal doesn't allow that, uh, and this was a PayPal thing. It's, it wasn't a, a like an Argentinian thing or a government thing. Uh, PayPal doesn't allow the um, the gift the oh. option here. So basically, uh, I'll be screwed for a couple of months until this is fixed or until I find some way to fool the system. That is what basically what we kind of do here the, yeah. in Argentina. The the collectors do. Um, but what I, I was talking to to a friend, and what, what I, uh, he said, well, well, we'll find a way to to get stuff. That and what I said was, like, it's okay, but I'm I'm kind of bored and I'm kind of tired of trying to find a way to to spend my money <laughs> in mm. whatever I want. Mm. And but and and that's uh, and that's the thing. Um, if this turns out to be uh, a great political measure and a great thing for the economy, uh, I'll shut up. But for now, um, it pisses me off. <laughs> Fair enough, and I think that's Fair a very well deserved red card. And mm-hmm. thank you for um, getting up early, not as early as John, but um, more hungover than John. We think <laughs> um, to share it with us. It's okay. I, <laughs> thank you for thank you for uh, letting me <laughs> say all these things. Uh, no, no worries. It's a, I think it's something that people should know about because you know if nothing else, it makes should make us uh, grateful for our own um, setting. I mean, like here in Australia, we have obviously issues in terms of shipping costs, etc. But we don't have anything like that, so. You know, good to get some perspective. So thank you for that, Tom. And uh, we're going to come back in a moment with the interview that Ben and I did with Tim Bruckner. Those eco-geeks are in our trap. Let's get them, 
planet and action figures. Each sold separately. Free! New Pilgrim of Reminence come with the purchase of any Captain Planet toy from Tiger. Details at participating stores. Well, if you have been around superhero toys or statues for any period of time, then the name Tim Bruckner probably means something to you. And if you buy these things, then whether you know it or not, you probably own something that Tim has had a hand in creating. Over the years, he has worked for Mattel, Kenner, Hasbro, Toy Biz, Sideshow, General Joyant, and probably best known for his amazing work with DC Direct, now DC Collectibles. Um, one of his uh, most amazing feats, as far as I'm concerned, is the fantastic DC Dynamics statue line which is just art um, but Tim does his own work as well um, has had a, a sculpture uh, shop and sells model kits and we are absolutely delighted to have Tim Bruckner here with us on this episode so Tim thank you very much for joining us my pleasure thank you for having me now um, I understand that the weather is a little bit different where you are than where we're sitting here in Australia <laughs> what are you seeing outside well, your what are you seeing uh, outside unless, your window? Unless you experience the blizzard, I think yes, it's it's going to be different. <laughs> <laughs> and and how long have you been in snow? Uh, well, um, it started early for us, and uh, and and it's continuing. It's it's going. Uh, it, it seems to be wanting to make up for lost time. We didn't get much <laughs> last year, so it's it's deciding that uh, it's going to flex a little muscle and show us what it can do, and it's doing a good job of it. <laughs> <laughs> and and what part of the states do you live in? We're in Wisconsin, so but we're we're about about an hour or so away from Minneapolis, St. Paul. So all of our uh, our culture endeavors and radio stations and and the like come from Minneapolis, St. Paul. Okay, which is a great great city. I mean, it or, or Twin Cities. It's mm. a, it got all the benefits of you know Chicago or New York, but it's a lot smaller and a lot less aggressive. And are you native to that area? I grew up in in L.A. Oh wow! Uh, uh, yep, uh, I I grew up in L.A. and uh, had worked there for for many many years and uh, met my wife and. Uh, we got married in New York and then moved back to L.A. And uh, we stayed there for four, three or four or five years, and I wasn't working for anybody local. I was working for people in uh, New York or Chicago or uh, um, uh, Jacksonville, Florida. So we thought, well, we'd come to Amory, Wisconsin, where my wife grew up. We'd come here for a summer, and that was 27 years ago. <laughs> You know, and the the amazing thing to me, you know, I growing up in L.A., you know, in a in a suburb, uh, you have a backyard, half of which is grass and half of which is cement. Mm. And so we moved here uh, to this hobby farm with forty acres, and I was just amazed that that you could look out your door and not see another person mm. or another house. Yeah. It was just astonishing to me. The space was was remarkable. And that's what I've always loved about this is the, you know, is just the the room you have and and the feeling of space and the, and the seasons as as uh, in L.A. there are no seasons there's <laughs> there's rain and then there's no rain uh, but here you know you there's a certain uh, urgency to get things done because you only have a certain amount of time to get them done True. and that's been really beneficial as well so I, uh, my work ethic has improved dramatically. Uh, since we've been here, because it, <laughs> there isn't this sense of being open-ended. Oh, I can get it done next week. Oh, well, maybe next week after the weekend. It, so it's been really good here. Hmm. 
That's fantastic. Um, so tell us a bit about the journey for you um, to the career that you've had. You know, one thing that I'm always fascinated by when we talk to sculptors and designers in particular is the road that led them to um, designing toys and these sort of properties. So for you, I know it was a, an interesting journey. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, it, it's – and you're right. You know, every sculptor I know – uh, started off doing six or seven other things. Mm. And somebody introduced them to someplace else and somebody else. And so it, no, I don't think I know anybody who actually started off wanting to do this. Because, you know, at the job description, you know, you're going to, here's an idea. You can sit in a room uh, eight to 12 hours by yourself and push little bits of wax around. doesn't, on a surface, sound all that appealing. <laughs> so uh, I started, I started sculpting when I was seven. Wow. Uh, when, and I, when I was growing up, they had these little candy wax tubes. Uh, they were like maybe four or five inches long, and they were, they were like beeswax or something, paraffin of some kind. And inside of it was this, this uh, um, sugar concoction that was designed to put you into insulin coma as soon as you, <laughs> as you got halfway through. And I started sculpting with the wax. Uh, and uh, I think the first things I sculpted was uh, a head of the seven dwarfs, which I thought looked exactly like Grumpy. Uh, in hindsight, it probably looked exactly like somebody's thumb. But that was that was where I started, and I just kind of, um, you know, I bought clay and uh, played with plaster molds and uh, was lucky enough that my parents... Uh, were sensitive to my to to me wanting to be involved in the arts and, and create, mm. and so they bought me art books and and it just it, just the exposure to that kind of stuff. You know, looking at uh, Michelangelo or, Ber, or Bernini or Cellini or Rubens or any of that stuff, and I thought, no, that's that's cool. That's what I'd like to do. So was it a, a totally self-motivated thing, or was there any any one or thing around you that inspired you to start even thinking about sculpting in the first place? You know, it, it kind of came... Uh, I was also a huge uh, monster movie fan. Okay, yep. And, and, and Lon Chaney was, was, you know, a god to me. Hmm. And so and when I was doing research and just talking to people, and I said, oh, yeah, he sculpted his own stuff, and he did this and did that, and I thought, oh... Well, that's kind of like what I want to do, and so it was just kind of convergence of of classical art and and popular art, and monster movies, and uh, and all that stuff just kind of made me think that you know I kind of get this. I mean, this is something I I know or understand at a level that I don't understand anything else, and uh, and so the more I did, the more it. It inspired me to do more, and it, and that's kind of just kind of it's it snowballed in on itself, uh, and that's that's where I guess that's where it started. So, Tim, tell us about the the jewelry, the the stint in the jewelry business. How how did you go down that path? <laughs> oh God! Well, um, I was in my Renaissance phase at the time, where, <laughs> and and I was uh, and I was work I was sculpting a a button. That I thought uh, Julius the Tenth would wear, like I had a clue, you know. <laughs> uh, and and the guy across the street from us owned a jewelry store in Beverly Hills, and uh, he was friends with my mom and dad. And he came over, and 
I showed it to him, and I said, you know, what do you think? And and uh, he said, well, how would you like a job? And uh, I said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And so and it, we lived in about 26 miles from where the shop was. Um, but that's that was my start. I, I got to learn wax carving. I got to learn mold making. I got to learn wax uh, metal chasing. You know, all of those things have played into my career in a really dramatic way, and it, and I, it was a great education. You not only do you deal with the aesthetics of something, but you're also dealing with the the, the practical of here's a, here, in my mind I, I want to make this thing, and then with the engineering point of view, here's how I can make that thing, and so it was invaluable for me. And I did that. I was say I was 18. 17 or 18 when I started there, and I worked there for two years. Um, and, and it came down to, uh, in, 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 there was a dress code, kind of, loosely kind of a dress code. And the owner of the shop and the boss suggested that I might be more comfortable uh, dealing with some customers if I were dressed for the part. <laughs> um, and I realized that I wouldn't be. And so we, we parted ways, and that's, that's what started my freelance career. What, what was the dress code? Um, burgundy polyester pants and shirt. <laughs> uh, you know, when, when you can go into a when you go into a clothing store, and you can stretch your pant out and have it snap back, that's not a pant I want to wear on a daily basis. <laughs> that is hilarious. So it was something I and I'd already gone. I'd already thought that that there was something else out there. There was that you know for for the jewelry store, he was a big game hunter, and so. For the time I was there, I must have sculpted hundreds of animals. I mean, elephant and kudu and water buffalo and, and just over and over and over and over. And at some point, you can only sculpt so many elephants True. and decide, uh, you know, it's either me or them. And so uh, <laughs> it, 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 was a good, it was a great education, and I met some really wonderful people. But it was, it was a point where I, wasn't, I knew what I could do, and I wanted to be in a situation where I didn't think I was going to be able to pull it off. Hmm. So you know you you in those days when you freelanced you and you had a book I mean you actually had a physical portfolio where where these days you know you have it it's all online but you mm. put your book together and you take it into art directors and they'd say to you well you know I see you can do so and so and so and so but could could you do a uh, uh, you know, a, a Siamese cat wearing a pirate uniform with a peg leg. And, and you would say, of course. <laughs> I, you know, in fact, I did one of those at lunch. <laughs> you, you took any job, and then you went home, and you tried to figure out if you actually knew how to get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. So the superhero side of things, how did that come to be? Like, did you have an interest in these sort of properties before you started working on them? Like most guys, uh, I was, you know, I bought comic and like certain types, like certain artists. Early on, I really liked the work of uh, Kurt Swan. I thought his stuff was really unique and different. Uh, but then there was, then, then I happened to come across famous monsters of Filmland, and then comics were dead to me. <laughs> you know, it was monsters, and I just wanted to do monsters, and I thought that's, you know. But so I, uh, in when I started to freelance, I did a lot of giftware. I mean, just a, a lot of giftware, cute kittens and dogs, and and uh, you know, I worked for um, the, the uh, Hamilton Group and did Beatles. I actually did the first vinyl Beatles dolls ever produced. Wow! Uh, 
which was, which you know, it, the, the beauty part of it was that I got to watch Hard Day's Night, you know, over and over and over again. <laughs> and then the downside was that I got to watch Hard Day's Night over and over and over again. <laughs> so, you know, you'd, I knew the lines, unfortunately, and, and more, more unfortunately for my family, when I'd come in and I'd be Ringo or George, and they'd roll their eyes and show me the door, so... Uh, but I did I did a lot of giftware, and then happened to meet a guy who lived in Minneapolis who had a deal with Toy Biz, and uh, showed him my book, and he said, "Yeah, would you like to start doing, uh, you know, comic book characters and action figures?" Just shortly before that, I had done a couple of action figures for Hasbro, um, so I I kind of knew what I was doing, and uh, so I spent four and a half five years working through him with Toy Biz, and. You know, did a huge amount of, of um, Marvel characters and and more wrestlers than anybody should have to actually do. Um, <laughs> and was in New York to, to have a meeting with some of the Toyota's people and scheduled a meeting uh, at D.C. at the time. Uh, and George Brewer, I walked into the office in the morning and dropped my book off and a couple of pieces that I brought with me. And then went back about two o'clock and walked out with a job and and was with DC Direct for twelve years. Mm. Wow! Just pure absent. You know, most of my career has been me being uh, smart enough to get out of my own way. Hmm. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I understand. And that. I think you'll find that with with most most people in my business that that it really is just hoping you don't you know cock it up that you yeah. just. <laughs> I was thinking when you first started talking about how you managed working on pieces before the internet, what kind of process was involved in sculpting and showing where you're up to and getting approval before you could do it all online? Well, you know, you, you know, you took, you took pictures uh, um, and you, you had them developed and you had conversations with your art director. You know, you, you got, they sent you art, you sent them back um, uh, pictures in progress, and it was, you know, it was a very back and forth process. Uh, and, and the big difference was that you had conversations. I mean, you would get on the phone and you would talk with your art director, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 minutes about the job. And during that conversation, you'd both learn something about what it is you were trying to do. Um, hmm. These days, you know, it's all online, so you take pictures, but it's in emails, and you very, very rarely get to talk to your art director anymore. So that that process of of dialogue and discovery isn't quite as prevalent as it as it used to be, hmm. and I think I think I think the work has suffered for it. My perspective, but I don't I don't think there's any substitute for getting on the phone and discussing. Uh, a character's expression or a character's pose or, or body language. You know, if I, uh, one of the lines that I did early on was a, a line of busts for DC. Uh, it was the Joker, um, Batgirl, Bizarro, Lex Luthor, Superman, Robin, Joker. And it, it was a number of those characters. And I was doing Bizarro. And my take on Bizarro is that he's just a big goof. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not malicious or anything. He was just a big dumbass. Mm. Uh, and so in the in the design, I did, he's wearing his bizarro number one thing, and I wanted him to to point his thumb at his at his chest, kind of saying, "Look, aren't I great, mom?" <laughs> and it was when I realized, and talking with my art director, that 
that doing that gesture with the little finger part of the fist was slightly more aggressive than lifting the little finger up. Hmm. And those are the kinds of dialogues that you have with your art director, just to make those little subtle changes that inform the character and inform the sculpt so that you as a viewer maybe didn't intellectually know why you were responding to something, but you did respond to it. Yes. And that's one of the things that I, I, I think is, is really lacking in art direction these days. Is that nobody has the time for one, and it's just the, the dynamic of art director and artist has changed so dramatically. Mm. Mm. I have this weird thing about Bizarro in that I love Bizarro toys, and uh, that bust is, I think, just brilliant. Um, you know, it is because I, I agree with you. I like him when he is portrayed like a doofus, not like, you know, um, not, not, a, you know, malicious evil zombie. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I agree with you. I think, especially in the early part of his, his uh, evolution, you know, you'd look at that stuff and you think, this is just too dumb. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and some of them are just too dumb. And so part of the bus was to make him look, you know, the big the big dumb kid. Yes. You know, who wants to impress mom or dad or yes. or something. But it's just a big dumb kid in a big, you know, powerful body, but the brain of a you know, a hamster. <laughs> yeah. So you talking about Bizarro, you, you mentioned you obviously have, as an artist, your your own ideas and, and interpretations you, you want to bring to a character. So how then do you approach something such as uh, the Michael Turner flash statue where he's standing on Grodd, where you've got a, a pretty famous sort of piece of art to, to go on and you're then sort of bringing that to 3D life? Do you, do you just go ahead and do it and not think about it or do you sort of... Well, well, one of the, that's the only DC piece that was ever created that was a collaboration. Okay. I did Flash and Tony Cipriano, great friend and a brilliant sculptor, he did Grodd. Hmm. So that was, that was the only collaboration that's ever been produced for, as far as I know, certainly not, certainly DC, and I don't know how many others outside of DC, but that was a great fun for both of us to do. Fantastic. The, the trick, and, and the trick is, as you're interpreting something, is to be really aware of your own biases and then get out of them. Mm-hmm. You know, we all carry a certain aesthetic bias with us. We like the way certain things look. And what makes you less effective in translation is not recognizing what you bring of your own aesthetic to it and then how to pull it out of there. Yeah. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I did a, I did a, a Frank Presetta. The first Presetta I ever did was a ghoul queen. Um, and I picked it because it was one of the only illustrations of his woman type that was, was ink drawing. So it was, it was like a blueprint. And I started sculpting it, and I worked on it for a few days, and it was just not going anywhere. And I, and I knew it was just I, – I was not getting it, and I don't, didn't know why I was getting it, and I was really frustrated. And I came in one day and looked really hard at it and I realized that I was doing – I was putting myself on Frazetta. Hmm. I, was, I was minimizing her gut – and her and her thighs, because that was my aesthetic. And when I when I realized that's what I was doing, the piece just came together. Mm-hmm. And and that's one of the things that you have to be really really careful about is trying to modify the artist's work for your biases. Yep. And it's not that it doesn't happen, but if you're aware of it, you're more likely to sidestep it than than fall into it. Yeah. Yeah. And and. 
the other thing to watch out for is every every illustrator will do something out of character. So you want to go with the preponderance of evidence. You want to go with if if you see a Jim Lee forearm, you know a Jim Lee forearm. And if mm. in one panel, if he happens to do something differently, that's not the panel to use mm. because, you know, it's one out of a hundred. And so you recognize, you do a, a fair amount of research and really look at the artist's work to see what they do repeatedly. You know, well, what about how, how do they work the chest? How do they work the eyes or the ears or the hands? And you'll, say, you'll see this consistency. And then as you build a body of, work, of, of reference, you keep pulling those places in and have, especially if you only have a piece of art which only has one view to it, mm. you've got to start constructing a view that makes sense from the other pieces you can't see. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and some are harder than others. You know, there are, there are artists like Frank Miller who's incredibly inconsistent. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the same from frame to frame, let alone from page to page. <laughs> and so you kind of have to figure out what he means by that, as opposed to people like Alex Ross or, or Jim Lee, who are, you know, incredibly consistent. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of just making sure that, that you are in service of the work. And, uh, the, and the truth of it is that, that when you start to think that way, and then when you realize that you're Although the company is paying you, they're not really your client. Your client are the people that are going to actually buy the stuff that know this stuff better than you'll ever know it. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'll spend mm-hmm. two weeks or a month on something, but I won't have the same relationship with this piece that they will. Mm-hmm. And that's who you're working for. That's I think you've just summed up your success you know, in that, that, that philosophy um, – is something that uh, means a lot to me as a collector because you d- certainly do see uh, some sculptors whose own perspective, uh, I don't want to say gets in the way of the work, but where you know they have certain um, tropes that make it a very distinct you know piece you can tell it's done by this person um Mm -hmm. and you know i think that there's a space for that but when we're talking about the types of characters and properties that we collect for me i want the thing that looks the closest to the the character that i know from the comic um absolutely not not that character through the filter of someone um, obviously, everybody's got a style, and you can't help some of that. But I, I really appreciate what you're saying. Well, it, it was I was at my first convention, and uh, a husband and wife came up, and uh, and she's just a step behind him and beaming with pride as he's telling me all the stuff that he's purchased that I had done. And that's when it struck me that you know this guy's working nine to five, he's making God knows what, but as he's telling me everything he's purchased. In my mind, I'm adding all this stuff up, and it becomes mm-hmm. a considerable investment. Mm. And that's when I thought, yep, you know, you're, gonna, you're, you're taking your hard-earned money, and you're buying something that I've made, and my responsibility is to you. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to look at this. I'm going to finish it. I'm going to put it in a box. I'm going to set it in the garage somewhere, and I probably won't ever think about it again. But you'll see it every day. This is, yeah. this is, you brought it into your home. And that that changed a lot for me in, in how I saw stuff. Hmm. And, and then, then you know, there's there's little things you can give fans that uh, that non-fans may not you know be aware of. On the 
Green Lantern statue I did, there's a black feather on the ledge of the base, which is, you know, symbolic of his relationship with Black Canary. Hmm. If you didn't know that, it's just a black feather. But if you did, then we both are in on it. And then we both get to say, ah, yeah, see where this goes? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. You mentioned your very long association with DC Direct. That's a, a long working relationship. What do mm-hmm. you attribute that to? Why Why did that work so well for you for so long? Um, really, really good people. Um, had a really nice relationship with my art directors. Hmm. It was it was the beginning of the company where they weren't quite sure what they were doing, and I wasn't quite sure what I was doing. And we were open to exploring areas. Uh, you know, when when I first joined, I think they produced a couple of two or three action figures and a couple of statues. Hmm. And right from the beginning, we wanted to make sure that that. We, what, what we produced would be, first of all, different and original as we could get away with, hmm. and then really appeal to people who were interested in, in those particular characters. Uh, and so we tried things. You know, we tried different kinds of articulation. Uh, we tried different kinds of approaches to, to statues, to, to, pop, um, to popular characters. We, we played. Not all of it worked, but... For almost always something led to something else. Hmm. And I think that's what made, especially the middle years of my DC association, so so um, satisfying, is that we were just trying stuff just to see if it could work. And speaking and, and of which... Without that, I don't think DC, uh, the DC Dynamics would have ever happened. Hmm. It, it, hmm. it certainly couldn't happen now, and it happened then only because, you know, we had so much, so much history, and they were willing to trust me. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, you know, talking about trying new things, some of the pieces that you've done, I think, physically and structurally, uh, must have been a real challenge. The the Green Lantern versus Sinestro piece comes to mind. Has there been anything that was such a challenge that you virtually just threw in the towel and, and walked away, or? Uh, not really. You know, it's, <laughs> there's only so much you can do. The trick is to make it look like it can't do that thing. Mm. You know, when we first got the art for Green Lantern vs. Sinestro, they, the art had them fighting in this uh, really hyper-cluttered, museum-y looking thing, and all kinds of stuff being knocked over and broken. And You know, and you could tell that there was a fight going on, but they were both supposed to be somehow airbound, but, you know, one guy was, I think, Green Lantern was stepping on a box of something, and Sinestro was stepping on something else. So there was no mystery in how they were getting up in the air. They were foot-supported, which is is so obvious it's almost not worth doing. Mm. Hmm. So it was a matter of how do you how do you misdirect the eye long enough just to give the impression that uh, they are floating, and so you know it was it we had one point of support. And and then uh, Green Lantern supported Sinestro by the grip of his arm, uh, so they kept him both up with one point of support, which was really cool. Yeah, it's a fantastic piece. And and that's kind of what you 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 approach it from an engineering standpoint. You know what the material can and can't do. You know that that uh, you know commercially ninety nine percent of all commercial sculpture is is filled polyester resin. It has a certain property. 
you know that uh, anything clear cast doesn't have the filler in it and is, is sub, subject sub, what's the word I'm looking for? Susceptible is not the word, but that's, that'll do mm. uh, to heat warp. And so if you know what materials will do under different conditions, you can engineer for them and then push them a little bit farther out. And the factories these days have become so sophisticated that it's hard to think of something you can do that, that they can't do. Mm. And in the old days, that wasn't true at all. In the old days, <laughs> like I'm riding a covered wagon across the desert. <laughs> in the old days, when we were fighting the Indians, uh, it, it, but literally, it, when I, I did Kingdom Come, I was I I did the Superman figure for Kingdom Come, and I was in New York, and they had showed me the first test shot of Superman. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, this is this is really close, but it's not mine. Mm. And it turns out that in those days, when you sent a part to China, they would re-sculpt it <laughs> and, and then send it to you. And part of that was a point of pride, but it was just also part of their process because you didn't necessarily know what they needed for, for a tool part. Uh, but as, as we got to know what their processes were and they knew what our processes were, we were able to work together to, so that that thing stopped happening. So that when I set a tool part in, it was the part they used, which meant mm-hmm. that I had more control over how things got put together and they had less work to do with it. And it resulted in better product, I think, overall. Great. Yeah. You mentioned that, that things have come so far in terms of production and, and those kinds of processes. Do you ever look back at any of your early work and think, gosh, I wish I could get that made today? Um, yes, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> huh. Yes, you, you, you know, you always, there's a bunch of stuff. I mean, I like, I like parts of stuff I've done. There's no piece I've ever done that I've liked all of it. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's just, I like this bit or that bit, and I don't like this bit, and I don't like that bit. I wish that 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 we would have, the factories would have been sophisticated enough when we first started out that we could have tried more things, but I don't know that we, we would have realized what we could have tried. But it's all a, it's all a progression of, of, of stuff. You know, the self-tinted resin, which, they, which is commonplace now, uh, just you couldn't even, it wasn't even something you would think about. Everything was going to be painted. It wasn't ever going to be something that was cast uh, in a tinted resin that didn't need painting. Mm-hmm. But all of that stuff, you know, leads you when, you, when you can see what they can do, you start thinking in terms of what you can do. And then you just keep pushing each other along. If, uh, you know, five years ago, uh, or or six maybe, or, or maybe a little longer, DC Dynamics wouldn't have happened because there was there wasn't the technology technology to be able to produce a base with a hollowed sculptured core. Mm-hmm. And and now you know it, it's a, it's a matter of course that you can do that. So so tell us about how that line came to be. I've I've got the whole uh, set. It's the star of my collection. I reckon. Um, God bless you, my son. And uh, <laughs> it's a and 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 I also find. It's something that, you know, a lot of my stuff, people who don't know the characters look at and go, okay, you're a little bit weird. Um, but the, yeah, but I, I bet people think that about you even without the, the, looking at your you're, stuff. You're exactly right. But that, that, that line is something that even people who aren't, you know, familiar with the, the properties or understand collecting can really look at and appreciate because it's just art. So mm. so how did it all come about? Well, I had, I'd done a personal piece uh, Prometheus, uh, 
which is you know, it was a guy who was rising out of this swirling smoke, and he's got two flame two flames in in the palm of each hand, and that came about because I wanted to see if I could get a solid figure up in the air and have it feel like it wasn't necessarily earthbound, hmm. uh, and it kind of worked. And I thought, well, now you know, what if you what if you really push it a little bit farther? And uh, George Brewer and I, and I've known George for many years. Uh, I pitched it to him, and I thought, you know, here's what we could do. We could we could do these characters in these kinds of hyperdynamic bases that uh, are so affected by light and motion that it gives you the sense that this character is actually, you know, doing something other than just waiting for a bus. <laughs> uh, and I want to base the art on J.C. Leyendecker, because J.C. Leyendecker's work is so graphic that it just seemed like a natural. If you look at his arrow shirt ads or something, these guys are Superman without the S. Hmm. So it just seemed it seemed right. Uh, and the first character we tried was Aquaman. And uh, I, I just lifted the design concept from Lion Decker. The portrait of Aquaman is, is a Lion Decker portrait. There's no getting around it. Hmm. Uh, and the graphic quality. And then I did a lot of research on uh, water in motion. Hmm and looked at a lot of a video and then kept freezing the frame to figure out what it is you see the motion. Uh, and, and that's how that came about. And then we tried, uh, you know, there, there was, there's always going to be the characters that DC's always going to do. Superman, mm -hmm. Batman. Um, uh, we got Sinestro and Green Lantern in there. Uh, we got Joker in there. Uh, you know, Supergirl, some lent themselves better to the concept than others, but you know that my job was to try and make sure that it held together as a line, hmm. uh, and try and overcome what to me were design issues, and you know some worked better than others. Hmm. But it was a it was a it was a real learning experience. It, to me, it was an education and a half. You know, <laughs> it was one of those things where you think I know what I want to do, I'm just not sure I know how to do it, hmm. and designing designing a, a base that moved. Uh, with the light around it, was this, the challenge was to get a base that moved with light within it. Mm. And so by hollowing the base out and creating a sculpture or interior, then the light got to do several things that it couldn't do if the piece was solid. Mm. And that was, that, was, uh, that was a couple of, you know, long nights where, uh, you know, I ran out of curse words somewhere around midnight. <laughs> But it was it was a real. I, uh, it's one of my my one of my favorite pieces of that line is Joker because mm. he he's just so over the top. Yes. You know, it's I'm, as I was sculpting the portrait, and I thought this guy to me has always enjoyed his evil so much that he could taste it. Yeah. And I thought, well, okay, then let's bring the tongue out, and and he can taste it now. <laughs> hmm. But they gave me a lot of latitude in designing costumes. Uh, you know, you're, you'll see things in Batman's costume that don't appear in any place else. You see things in in Joker's costume that don't appear any place else. Hmm. Uh, originally, Supergirl uh, had her eyes closed, hmm. uh, and I I was profoundly disappointed that they didn't keep that because if you think about what a a young girl her reaction to being able to fly, you know, she just close her eyes and twirl around and have a hell of a time. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I love that Supergirl piece because of the just the joy um, in her face. You know, yeah. it, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece. Thank you very much. I, you know, I was I went outside and uh, ran around like an idiot, 
and twirled around, and I thought, yep, that's flying. And and I'm ever so grateful there's no pictures of that. (laughs) (laughs) I can really see how the eyes closed would have worked. But I can also it, it see. It really did. I yeah. think, uh, and I think images of that version are up somewhere. Okay, I've never um, seen it. But, um, I can also see why that would they would bulk it that just commercially. Um, but. Yeah, I, and I, you know, it's. I, I think there's. I think there's a. a and I don't know how, how to actually say this, but I think the consumers are a lot more sophisticated and a lot more sensitive and a lot more aware. Yes. Than companies gave them credit for. Absolutely. Mm. I, I think that, the, and especially if you take into consideration that all of these characters have some humanity in them somewhere. Yeah. Even the bad guys, you know, have got yes. something that resonates with human experience. If you can tap into that, then people react to that. People will see that, that this is this girl who's just having a hell of a time, enjoying the hell out of herself. And you can give that up because if you've ever seen a kid do any of that stuff, that's what they do. So just sort of closing out on DC Dynamics, The Flash. <laughs> and moving on. <laughs> so he's, he's it's gone. It's been talking to you, gentlemen. You guys have a good night. <laughs> it was a... This was at the point when uh, DC was going through its evolution, mm. and it wasn't going to be DC Direct anymore, uh, and there were some significant staff changes and relocations, and I think probably some um, uh, different perceptions of what product they wanted to make and how they wanted to make it. Uh, it would have been the only flash that you could actually see his body inside a speed blur. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd sculpted the, roughed out the entire body and, and cast it in resin and then worked the clay around it. So the idea was that you'd, you'd create the, pot, the body as a fully painted paint master. And then you would plug him into two halves of a speed blur. And so you could see him inside that. Yeah. And I thought that would be, because that's what, that's what you see when you see it in comics. You see him, his indication of a, fully, a full form inside the speed blur, and that's what I was hoping to get to. Hmm. And then they just decided uh, that DC Direct was done. Hmm. That's yeah, such and, a shame. and there were so many other characters that I thought would have really uh, lent themselves to that application. Yes. Mm, Captain uh, Marvel but, comes to mind. Sorry? Captain Marvel comes to mind. Oh, yeah, or, or Red Tornado, mm. or Mr. Freeze, or uh, uh, Martian Manhunter. All of those guys would have, been, would have been great, but there you go. My eldest daughter is a Flash fanatic, um, and there, so there is great bitterness in our house about... <laughs> The non-production of that statue. <laughs> I regret even. I regret telling her about it because every time that these come up, she's like, "But they never made Flash." Ah. <laughs> now, tell her it, it was the work of evil people, <laughs> and 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 there is karma. No, no, no. <laughs> oh no, there is karma. But I don't know if there's evil people, but I know there's yeah, karma. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I think sweet. what we need is a, a bootleg. Yeah. And so moving on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was. You know, it, that was one of those things that that uh, one of those projects where y- you you get to the point where you think maybe this won't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
had there not been Aquaman, there wouldn't have been the original uh, DC Dynamics Batman uh, had uh, bats that flew in and out of the fog. Oh. I think there were eight of them, eight or ten of them. And I thought, this is really cool, because then you get to see something, him being so stoic and just, you know, mm. being there and having these bats swirl around him, that would be kind of a cool dynamic. Uh, and it just got, they just decided they didn't need it. But, mm. but those areas bring you to another place, you know, and you think, okay, well, that didn't work, but I can apply what that, how that might have played into something in the next one. So I think Flash would have, I think Flash would have really worked, uh, and, and to be honest with you, it might have priced itself out, because it, mm. it was a bigger piece than any of the other ones. Yeah. Okay. Uh, something I'm, I'm curious, Tim, in our hobby, we have people like yourself, Randy Bowen, etc., uh, sort of on a, a bit of a pedestal um, because of the, the contribution you make to our hobby. But what do your friends and family, how do they perceive what it is that you do? <laughs> I'm sorry, say that again? <laughs> what do your friends, what do and my fam- friends and family think about me on a pedestal? No, no, no. What do they think about what you do? <laughs> uh, well... Here's the here's the beauty part of it. it it's all I've ever done. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's not like like I woke up tomorrow and decided I was going to sculpt this, and my kids went, "Wow, that's cool." <laughs> it's it's always been part of who they know, hmm. and uh, I get uh, I get very little leeway because I'm this guy. <laughs> you know, it's uh, and 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 blessedly so. You know, it's, uh, my wife is, uh, she doesn't give a rat's ass if I do Superman or uh, Abraham Lincoln. You know, if the trash doesn't get getting taken out, then <laughs> we have an issue. <laughs> Fair yeah, enough. It, but it does, I, I think it, 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 it has helped both of my kids, both of our kids, uh, see their creative lives as as something more possible hmm. than if I if they hadn't seen me do it. You know that that there's there's a reality to what I do. There's you know I I do this stuff and then people pay me and then bills get paid, and I still get to be creative and I still get to explore areas of creativity. And I think that has helped both of them be more flexible in their approach to their own lives. Hmm. Hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah. Do you have a, a favorite character or characters that you love sculpting? Uh, you know, not really. I, I really enjoy sculpting a Joker because I keep finding things in him that I, that, uh, hmm. you know, which it doesn't say a whole lot for me. <laughs> but I, I seem to, I, I get him in a way that I don't get other characters. You know, I, I see him as, you know, a, a really egocentric a uh, megalomaniac who just uh, adores his own bad stuff, mm. um, and, and it makes sense to me for some. And I don't know why. Uh, I just did a, a, a bust for uh, Don Bomb, a Superman bust, uh, had, and I don't know if you if you've had a chance to see it, um, but it's it's the closest I've come to doing Superman the way I see Superman. Mm. You know, somebody who's who's big and powerful but pensive. And uh, and and thoughtful and anticipatory, but not necessarily committed. If hmm. that makes sense. Yes. You know, somebody who's willing to consider, as opposed to just being a, a brute and throwing trains around and crap. <laughs> <laughs> 
and, and that's what I guess, you know, I've done, uh, I think I've done Superman 38 or 40 times, oh, a bunch of different interpretations, but it's rare that you get a chance to see what those characters mean to you, and then how do you make, how do you translate that? So it's, it's just not another guy with an S on his chest. How do you make, how do you anticipate the thought process to somebody looking at your work and thinking, I can see him thinking. Yeah. And, uh, there's a brilliant uh, 17th, 18th century sculptor, a guy named uh, Houdon, who sculpted Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and, and stuff. And there's a bust that he did of, of Benjamin Franklin you look at this thing, and you may not know what he's thinking, but you know he's thinking something. Hmm. And it's just the imbalance of stuff. It's how Houdin said that an expression is on its way to something, that the, it may, it, the, the mouth may be expressing one thing while the eyes are on its way to expressing something else, and that's the work of, of bringing this stuff to life, is to anticipate the the evolution of expression and the evolution of emotion and how these things play across something. And if you do it, you know, if you do it right, people respond. Hmm. And, and not to say that I've done it right, and I just hit it now and then. Hmm. So a, a little while ago, you announced some sort of retirement. Yep, uh, semi-retired. So what, what does that actually mean for you? You just said you're still, you just did something for someone, so you obviously haven't stopped sculpting. Oh, no, it's just that I, that, that I, uh, I've pretty much stopped doing commercial work. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is that the, that I, the business has changed so dramatically and that I am a lot older and grumpier than I used to be. <laughs> and my, and I, I, honestly, my patience isn't what it used to be. And I don't know that I'm going to be asked to do something that I don't think I can do. And that's that's the joy of what this job used to be, is somebody who said, you know, we'd like to do this. And you're thinking, oh, crap, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> and then you figure the way out of it, and that makes you a better artist and gives them a better product. Um, but product has become, for all kinds of reasons, product has become uh, so predictable and and so much of the same that it, I think it's it's... I don't think it takes into consideration how smart the, the buying public is, how, mm-hmm. how smart, sophisticated, and how interested they'd be in something that was different and new and took the characters in places that they hadn't seen, you know, 50 or 60 times. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just got, you know, and, I, and I, haven't, I haven't spent much time doing my own stuff. And so I thought this was a chance for me to take some commissions and explore those areas and then work on my own stuff and... Uh, see if I can uh, sculpt myself into a corner and, and see if I can sculpt myself out. <laughs> do, you, do you actually have a dream project that you're yet to start, that sort of life-size King Kong or something? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I can tell you for, for absolute fact that I have no desire to sculpt a life-size King Kong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and not without a hell of a lot of alcohol. <laughs> um, you know, something that, I, and I'm sure I'm never going to get to it, but one of the things that I've always been fascinated, and I kind of got to do a little bit, little bit of it with the DC confrontations. You had these characters that could interact with each other, and, and they had these bases that twirl or twirl, but they pivoted, and the heads pivoted, so that depending on how you put these together, you rewrote the scenario each time you changed their juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. And 
And so we did that line. Yeah, I've got the bizarre Superman one from that. Yeah, but you know, if you yeah. put all of them, and I forget, is there six or eight? Uh, there's eight? Six, six, I think. If you put them all together, the way you can you can have all of everybody beaten up on Superman, or you can have Green Lantern defending, uh, um, you know, whoever, uh, Sinestro. I mean, it, mm. it it really becomes a, a personal statement, a personal involvement. And as soon as you get people. As soon as you give people the option to become engaged in the work, it means something different than just putting something on a shelf and dusting it every, you know, mm. four weeks or something. Mm. Mm. Oh, so is that my... how often you're meant to dust it? <laughs> oh, well, I, I don't know. I, I had I had no clue. <laughs> I, I figure, I figure as, as long as you can kind of see it, it doesn't need dusting. Yeah. <laughs> I... when, you, when you walk into the house and you go, what is that? Yeah. Then you know you need to put the feather duster to yeah. work. Well, my my wife uh, resisted my displaying my collection for as long as she could, and then I I've ended up with really nice display cabinets because her kind of <laughs> guideline was: look, if you're going to have this out, then it has to be somewhere where it looks nice and it's not collecting dust. So good woman. Yeah, good woman. Yeah. <laughs> Well, because she knows that you won't, you won't do it. No, exactly you know, you're, right. You're just sit there, walk by it every day, going, "Oh, I'm glad I own that." But yeah. <laughs> the, the actual labor of dusting is not something that you're drawn to. No, that is true. That well, is true. The, for me, it was. It, it, it would be lovely to see if I could construct an environment where you have characters that, by their juxtaposition, you get to change the scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe alternate heads or alternate arms or whatever it is. But you wake up, you know, you come in one day and you think, oh, I don't want that guy to be, you know, beating that guy up. I want him to go date that girl. And you can change that dynamic by how you place the pieces and in what attitude. And that, that's something that's always interested, excuse me, that's always interested, interested me. Mm-hmm. Um, that and the, uh, you, you, there was a DC line of, of busts where they all appear in these kind of rock formations. Mm-hmm. Originally, all of those characters were meant to pivot in the bases so that when, and, beca- and they also had a front, which they didn't, they don't have now. But originally the idea was that you line all these characters up and you get to choose uh, who they're looking at and what angle you like. Um, I finally got to do that effect with some Hellboy busts for Dark Horse and um, and Elfquest bust. But the theory is that as soon as you give the collector the chance to interact with the piece, even by changing its position, it means something different to them than if it's just something on the shelf. Hmm. So that's something I'd like to explore at some point, is to see how interactive I can get yeah, sculpture yeah. and how uh, personalized I can make it for people who want to explore that. It's fantastic. So now that you are quote unquote semi retired, how are you spending your time? Like what what's different about your life because of that now? Well, bar opens at twelve. Uh, uh, <laughs> no no uh it 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 took me a while and has taken me a while to uh, give myself uh time. Mm. I mean all of my personal work has always been sandwiched in between deadlines. Mm. And so you, you you approach a job or you approach a personal piece based on what you want to accomplish and then how much time you think you have to accomplish it. Um, you know, and some I had more time than others, but they've all had to fit within uh, available time. Mm-hmm. And 
So I'm working on a piece now that I'm going to uh, show at Spectrum Live in May that is is coming together as it needs to. Uh, that there are places that I've things that I've done that I've changed my mind that didn't work, and I and now I have the time to make them better or make them different hmm. or think about it some. Uh, as opposed to just having to make every minute count. I still come into the studio. I'm in the studio at uh, 8 o'clock at the latest, and, uh, you know, we'll stay out here till 4.30 or 5. Um, there's no shortage of things to do, but there's less of a frenzy about doing it. There's more chance to, to uh, think about it mm-hmm. and uh, um, play with some ideas that may or may not work, but at least have a, have a chance to explore them. Uh, and that kind of stuff always informs other pieces, and that informs other pieces. So something that I'm working on now may not work in this piece, but I'll, you know, sock it back and think, yeah, that might work with this one. Hmm. So it's just a, it's a, it's a different feel of working than it used to be. It just gives me uh, the chance to relax into the creative process, um, which is always nice. Mm-hmm. Now, as well as all the commercial work that you've done, you've um, sold your own model kits uh, mm-hmm. for um, some time. How did that come about, and what what has been the the enjoyment that you've gotten from that? Uh, well, it came about. Uh, I I had these had these pieces, and uh, I thought you know it would be cool to you know I I finish them the way I want to finish them. Mm. But when you when you sell a kit, you're you're in this kind of collaboration. I'm giving you this, and you're going to do what you want on top of it. And some of the results are things I would have never thought to do. Hmm. So that's really great. Is that you have this this thing with, that used to be just mine is now ours. And you know I've seen pieces that I'd sculpted and that I'd painted and I'd finished the way I wanted to. And then you see somebody else's interpretation, you think, man, I would have never done that, but it works. Hmm. So that's how it kind of happened, and it was also a, a way just to to explore kit making and explore um, producing subjects that ordinarily wouldn't be out there. I mean, the laughing Beethoven uh, is something I've always wanted to do, but I couldn't imagine a company doing it. Hmm. <laughs> uh, and the and the funny thing, there was a uh, I'd had pictures of it on online, and I got an email from a woman who uh, worked for the uh, Beethoven House, uh, the museum, and they were putting a book together of all of the various images of Beethoven. And uh, they wanted to put that in the book. And I thought, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Hmm. So it's just, you know, the, the uh, Lucifer's Lawyer or uh, Beelzebub's Bookkeeper or the various versions of the, of the Frankenstein monster or those kinds of things that I personally like that I'd like to see out there, and it's about the only way that was going to happen. <laughs> and it did not. I mean, it was, like I said, it was, it was a, a really interesting collaboration and, and helped me see my stuff in a different way. Mm-hmm. And realizing that, you know, I, I come, as we talked earlier about, I come to everything I do with a certain bias, but having somebody else approach it from a completely different standpoint helps you, uh, you know, expand at least your vision of what you do. Fantastic. Is there anything outside of sculpting that um, takes your time or passion? Is that where all your creativity goes, or do you have any other, you know, hobbies or passions? Well, it used to be. I, I used to 
they used to work in the music business years and years and years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recorded, wrote, recorded and produced three children's albums for McDonald's that were uh, released through Casablanca. Wow. And so I did that kind of stuff, and I did a lot of demo work, and so I, I was seriously thinking that I was going to be, um, you know, a rock and roller. Uh, and my big contact was with Chrysalis Records, and uh, seeing where their people were going, I realized that I was not going to be a uh, skinny pants, big hair fellow. <laughs> and so my, and I just, you know, I, I knew that I was not going to be, I didn't understand music the way I understood other stuff. And so I, I kind of backed out of that. Huh. Um, so I did a lot of illustration. I did some album covers. I did the Ringo cover. Um, I did uh, the Average White Band cover. Uh, Ray Charles, I did the dust jacket for Cat Stevens, so I did a lot of graphic work, which was a nice balance between sculpture. Mm. And then over the last few years, I've just been writing stuff, and I had my first novel published uh, earlier, late last year. Wow. Wow. Uh, um, everybody, please go and buy and love this thing. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's published by Pro Se Publish, uh publications. The name of the book is Sensible Redhorn, and it's a collection of four semi-hard-boiled detective stories. Hmm. And then I've got another another uh, mystery book coming out in March or February, and then a collection of Christmas stories coming out in December. And, and that has been a tremendous thrill for me. That's fantastic. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's, I had, I've had validation in other areas of creativity, but outside of pop sculpture, I've never had anything that validated me as a writer. Hmm. You know, and it's kind of like one of those things where you, 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 you have a, a passion for a hobby, uh, and then when somebody of a, of a certain expertise acknowledges it, it kind of gives you this, oh, yeah, that's, that's cool. So that was great. Uh, having the book published was just a, a huge thrill for me. Now, if I can just get somebody to read it, that would be even more of a thrill. <laughs> <laughs> so where do, where do we go to buy it? You can. It's on Amazon. Oh, great. You go to Amazon and you uh, um, and just type, type in Sensible Redhorn, and it'll come in books. And I got to design the cover for it. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I, it, I'm not sure. I, I want to think it's it's like. Eight bucks or something. It, whatever it is, it's a deal. I'm telling you. Yeah. Oh, and it's available on Kindle as well. It is on Kindle. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, but it's also available on on real paper. <laughs> so whatever whatever version you choose, you know, yeah. the author and his family will be extraordinarily grateful. <laughs> Well, look, Tim, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Well worth the wait. This is something that we've been trying to to line up pretty much since we started the show. Um, and so thank you for semi-retiring so that you've got had time to talk to us. <laughs> well, it's been my pleasure. Seriously, it's been a great pleasure. And congratulations on your 100th episode. Thank you. Um, uh, and if if uh, if any of the, uh, the things we talked about, if if you don't have images of it, uh, email me and I'll send you images and you can put them up wherever you like. Beautiful. Thank right. you so much. Thank you. Well, well, thank you again, Tim. And uh, I think there's enough probably in there for another chat somewhere down the line, but we'll leave it there for now. And uh, we'll be right back in a moment with some feedback before we wrap up the episode for good. 
Park dinosaurs are gentle vegetarians. It's Jurassic Park. A raptor grabs a baby dinosaur. Grant tears off in the bush devil tracker to save it. Young T-Rex wants a piece of the action. Can the dinosaurs be recaptured? Look for the JP mark. It's happening, but only at Jurassic Park. Before we say goodbye, we have a bit of feedback. We love hearing from you, whether it is a tweet or a Facebook post or an email or uh, whatever. And we've got a couple of different bits of feedback here. And, John, you've got the first one. Yep, um, Sean Marshall, and he's over on Twitter. He sent us a tweet, and you can find him at the underscore con underscore fluence. He says, I'm a toy hunter from birth, so absolutely love your show. Thank you for qu- the quality entertainment. Woohoo. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, thank you. He's good. Very nice. He's a very good guy. And Ben, we have an email as well. Yeah, we do. We've got some uh, good feedback from the uh, episode 101 ch- chat with um, Rocco Jerome. And Tabby writes, guys, loved the chat with Rocco Jerome on episode um, 101. Always been a Captain Marvel fan, but more than just that, I loved his story. More chats like that, please. Yeah, I loved that interview. I thought Eli did a great job, but like, it was just really interesting listening to somebody's story. I loved it. Yeah, I really love the uh, custom Captain Marvel story <laughs> with the Flash. I, uh, I just love that. And it's just interesting, you know, the things that kind of, I guess, create us as collectors and those little passions and synergies in life that happen that um, make us who we are today. And it's really fascinating to hear that, I think, from any collector. Um, but particularly for those of us that have known Rocco for a long time on the interwebs to kind of hear the voice and hear the story is a different dimension again. So I really enjoyed it from that perspective. But I think that just from a, a listening perspective, um, it was a, a great chat. So thanks again to Rocco. Um, he's welcome back anytime. Yeah. I just love that his name is Rocco. <laughs> That's, That's right. Cool name. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> And we, of course, have our 100th birthday contest still running. And if you would like your chance to enter, there are still prizes to be won over at least the next three episodes. And all you need to do is go to our website at actionfigureblues.com and search for contest. And the audio file of our trivia questions is now up as a separate post and if you listen to that and send in correct answers to the five questions that John put together for you, you will go in the draw to win a great prize from sponsors like Mike's Comics and stuff and All-Star Comics Melbourne and our This is not a fisting comp <laughs> It's not a fisting comp No, no, no no. Are any of the prizes signed by Toy Guru? Sadly, no. Oh. I know. We didn't think of that in time. Yeah. Did you sign you any of the prizes? Sign something, Scott. <laughs> I could sign. Absolutely, I'll sign the prizes. No problem. If if you want them. Oh, actually, um, now I can't sign this prize because it's not coming from me. It's coming from Mike. Um, if you want Mike to sign the prize, <laughs> let us know. All right. So 
Hey, yeah. I, I'd rather have a, a Mike's signature than Toy Goro's. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Any day of the week. Anyway, people are waiting for this announcement. Shut up, everyone. Our winner this week is winning a prize from Mike's Comics and Stuff, mikescomicsandstuff.com, and this is from the Marvel Legends Captain America Infinite series, and it is the Captain America Now figure. And our winner is, drumroll, Carlo Mendoza of Makati City in the Philippines. Nice. Yeah, Good nice. job. Good job, Carlo. Woohoo. Congratulations. So, Carl, congratulations, Carlo. Thank you for listening and for answering the questions and getting them all right. Well done. And your prize will be on the way shortly from Mike's Comics and stuff. Like I said, we have at least three more prizes to give away, which means that there are still three more chances um, over the next three episodes to win. So if you haven't sent in, we've had a lot of entries, which is awesome. But you never know. Here's might be the one that gets drawn out of the electronic hat. So send in your answers. Podcast at actionfigureblues.com. Um, there are some super awesome things to come. Fantastic. Yay. And, of course, we thank our sponsors for their prices. Thank you okay. very much. Thank you very much. And with that, we are out of here. We are indeed. Tom, thanks again for joining. It's always great to have you on the show. Yes, it yeah, is. It's always great to be here. And although, um, although here it's in my living room, so it's always great to <laughs> virtually be there. Got it. Exactly. <laughs> that made absolutely perfect sense. We'll send you lots of virtual gifts. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone has got an idea about how to smuggle toys to Tom, I'd like to do it without getting arrested, but, you know. Yeah, I'm too pretty to go to prison. Yeah, okay. I think we're on the same page there. We don't, none of us want to go to jail. Um, but if you can... Again. <laughs> shh. Okay. That's not how I got my tattoo. Um, the, if you can think of a way to smuggle toys to Tom, let us know. Podcast at actionforgiveness.com. Bye. Bye, Bye. everybody. Have your yeah, nice spider neutered. Mm. And um good night Argentina, you big meanies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Bye. Good morning. <laughs> The Action Figure Blues podcast can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and downloaded direct at actionfigureblues.com by clicking on the podcast tab. If you do listen to us on iTunes, please take a moment to leave a positive rating and review. We also have an active fan forum at afbforum.com where you can join in with all of the hosts of the podcast and many other collectors to discuss news, new releases, old lines, and engage in trades and sales in a safe community. Please join us there. While you're at actionfigureblues.com, please don't forget to check out our sponsors like Mike's Comics and Stuff, ShelfLife.net, and the Pop Culture Superstore, who help keep our site running. You can also find us on Twitter at AFBlues and on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash actionfigureblues. Thanks for listening. Three. No matter what time zone you're in or what continent you're on, when you need to find out just how Maddie Collector is screwing you over this week, we're here to help. You're listening to the Action Figure Blues podcast, episode number 102, for the week of Wednesday, the 5th of February, 2014. I'm Scott, and with me tonight are... Ben. Tom. And John. 
This episode is brought to you by Mike's Comics and Stuff and ActionFigureBlues.com. Tonight, after our regular features, we have a very special interview with sculpting legend Tim Bruckner. I think you guys need to say your names again. Something weird happened. What did I do? No, I think I don't no, know. No, I think it was me. I think it was. Uh, it sounded too eager. <laughs> 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 yeah, that was it. <laughs> I thought it was just a bit of a, sc- a Skype blurb. I didn't hear extra <laughs> eagerness. All right, let the show begin. Everybody ready? Why? Yeah. You're nodding, aren't you, John? Yes. <laughs> All right, here we go. In. I don't know what number that is. Uh, yeah, we um we've done so many episodes now that we're gonna um name them in code. Here we go. In five, four, three. <laughs> I thought I was awesome too. You were. That's disappointing. I know. Oh well, I might use if if I'm not as good. This second time, then I'll just um, edit your better names into my better take. Yeah. Because that's how we roll. That's right. Okay, here we go. Five, four, three. No matter what time zone you're in or what continent you're on, when you need to find out just how Maddie Collector is screwing you over this week, we're here to help. You're listening to the Action Figure Blues podcast, episode number 102, for the week of Wednesday, the 5th of February, 2014. I'm Scott, and with me tonight are... Ben, Tom, and John Arino. Oh my god. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> uh, and this is why it takes four hours. Being humorous. <laughs> humorous? That's not your job. You're the straight guy. You gotta say it like you're in Middle Earth. John. Yes, that's right. I, I am the straight guy. Yeah. D-J-A-R-N. John. 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 Because I've listened to the bloopers from last week. <laughs> okay, come on. We don't have time for this. Get it right. I, I seriously don't know how hard it is to just say one's name normally, John. Like, <laughs> it's, it, I don't get it. I, I was being funny. He's he's powered by Mountain Dew. And John. How did you know that? I'm wise. Everybody knows that. Because huh. you're a freaking addict, man. No, I'm a, a Keurig mm. addict now. A this what? is an intervention, John. Yes. yes. That's right. We actually, we've already recorded the yeah. show. This is actually an intervention um, to say that we just can't live like this anymore. And that if you're not prepared to do something about this, then you can no longer be in our lives. And John, something else? Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, wait a minute. I don't have it open. <laughs> I think there were also some Funko Teen Titans Go pop finals. Yeah. And I do not have a link for them. No. Well. Um, yep, we, we saw those though. 
Thank yep. you for, for helping me out there because uh, I, I remember seeing them um, and just the link's not working, unfortunately. I think these are um, not actually news anyway. I think they've just come out, but they were already announced. So yeah, we might just we might cut yeah we might cut that, John. Because okay. yeah, I mean it's not it's not actually news anyway. How did we jump to the three A toys Iron Man? Because that link that Funko Teen Titans Go link is actually the link to the three A. Thing, and that's why John, I was like, John, have you had a stroke? I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm just going to, just to make it easier to find the edit, I'm just going to cut the, I'll um, split the audio here. Because mm. I just thought, hang on, I'm missing yeah, I've fallen asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone, gone through a time vortex. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought we rolled with it very well, but then the um, incorrect link in the Teen Titans ultimately threw us off. <laughs> we'll um, the link for the Four Horsemen Toy Apocalypse uh, uh, show is oh, also man. Iron Man. <laughs> Who did this fucking news? 3A, yeah. clearly. Yeah. Is it Adam? No. Is it you? Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. Mm. Technology. I think 3A hacked the. Um, yeah, that's right. 3A got into our script. And they really wanted us to cover that. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Sean. Uh, we will be right back in a moment with the, no, not the toy of the week because we're not doing that. Shut up. Okay. Five, four, three, 